Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Do pray for Sister Grant and I. We will be leaving as soon as service is over. In fact, we have to get out real fast today. Uh, we're going by Milwaukee and picking up Brother and Sister Aaron, and we're driving down to, to Louisville. I'm supposed to be there at 10 o'clock in the morning. I don't think I'm going to make it by 10. I just found out I was supposed to be there at 10. Uh, I think Thursday. I'm going to try to make it by 1 o'clock uh, tomorrow. We will be spending the night in Indianapolis. So if you just pray for us and pray, I'm just having a terrible, terrible struggle with my ankle. It's just been, I have arthritis in it, and it's just been to the point of making me sick. But I know that God can touch my body and heal me. I want you to pray for me. Luke, the 12th chapter. Verse 42, there's a parable that Jesus gives concerning a steward and his servants. I'd like, uh, as I read this, I'd like for you to put your own self in the position as being the chief steward that's spoken of. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make him ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him. And at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew the Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required... And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. And you may be seated. Praise God. I want to speak on the subject, why not today? Why not today? And I know that I'm talking to a good number of people who are really prepared to meet the Lord. But perhaps we're addressing some that you're just planning on getting right if you notice what the Lord's saying in this parable, there was a servant. And because he did not know when the Lord was coming, he did not prepare. The problem is, in his procrastination, he waited too long. And then when the Lord did come for him, he was, he was not ready. He was not prepared. I'm amazed when I look through the scripture <clears throat> at the good number of people that when God spoke to them about performing certain uh, acts or certain or, or bearing certain responsibilities, how they responded. I have a little Bible on computer. The district gave me this last camp meeting. and You can just type in almost any phrase that has an excellent concordance in it. Type any phrase you want to in it and uh, enter it in. And, of course, it brings up all the scriptures. And I was amazed to find how many 
godly men through the Scripture that, uh, I mean, they just responded just quickly when the Lord spoke to them. When God spoke to Abraham, uh, the Bible says that he rose up early in the morning to take his son Isaac to offer him for a sacrifice. Now, you have to keep in mind that most of the time when the Lord spoke to these people, he just said, do this tomorrow. But uh, they rose up early in the morning. The Bible makes it very plain in Abraham's case, while it was yet dark, he rose up. Uh, <clears throat> you go through the scripture and, and take a look at this. This was also true of Moses when Moses was to go before Pharaoh. And I'll tell you, when you look at Moses and the excuses that he made, not wanting to do this, uh, saying to the Lord that he had this speech problem and he did not feel that he was properly fit for the position. But when the Lord says, we want you to go before Pharaoh tomorrow, the Bible says he rose up early in the morning to do this. When Joshua was, was to march around Jericho, the Bible tells us, that when the Lord told them to start this tomorrow, the Bible says he rose up early in the morning while it was yet dark. And uh, he, he wanted to, to make sure that he, he got off to a good start. <clears throat> this is what he wanted to do. When the Lord told Joshua to cross over Jordan, the Bible says he rose up early in the morning while it was yet dark. Now, <clears throat> that uh, within itself is... Is quite surprising, and the reason why is because if you remember, Joshua was one of the twelve spies that came back, and they didn't even want to cross. Now Joshua did. Joshua and Caleb, they wanted to cross, but the mindset of Israel has always been, "Oh, let's don't be in too big of a hurry to do this because there are giants in the land." Of course, we know that. God took and marched them around in the wilderness for 40 days. Pardon me, 40 years. <clears throat> they marched 40 days plus a lot more. 40 years they marched in the wilderness. But uh, maybe Joshua knew the mindset of the people had changed. But I will assure you that all of those years that they marched, they continued to doubt. And they did not trust God the way God wanted them to trust Him. But when it came to that time of exercising responsibility, He did it. He just rose up early in the morning. In our Friday night prayer meeting, we had such a great move of the Lord. And we started talking about people waiting and about how irresponsible individuals are. I, I'm amazed in, in my search of the Scripture that uh, I find that God always gives people the type of government that they desire, that they deserve, not desire, but that they deserve. I believe any nation that has the wrong type of government, when people fully repent and they're willing to, to govern themselves, they are willing to bear responsibility that God will overthrow corrupt governments and give them independence. I find that in the Scripture. But many people are overtaken by tyrants simply because that they become irresponsible and they will not govern themselves. The mindset of America today is that uh, we want to get all we can that is free. 
that if the government can take care of us, then we'll let the government take care of us. Truthfully, that is the mindset of, of the American people. Now, <clears throat> seeing this is true, uh, we can expect more and more and more government controls upon us. And the reason why is because if we do not bear personal responsibilities, take care of our own business and affairs, then the government seemingly has no other prerogative or choice, maybe I should say, no other choice but to, uh, to do that. And the government always is eager to exercise their prerogative to take choices away from us when we are irresponsible. So throughout the Scripture, I find that that this this is true of of great men of God. When Moses knew that he was going on a forty day fast and he was going up in Mount Sinai, the Bible says that he rose up early in the morning before it was yet uh, light, and while it was yet dark, and he made his ascent to the top of Mount Sinai. I want to speak uh, on the subject. Why not today? Why not today? Why not today? Uh, when it comes to living for God, it, it is amazing that the more you put this off in, in making a decision to live for God, the harder it is. Most people who have been in and out of, of a church or around a church for a number of years, when they meet, reach the, their mid-years or middle age, what we call middle age, uh, very rarely do they ever make a decision to live for God. Now, middle-aged people can come in the church, uh, hear the preaching of the gospel, and uh, respond, respond quickly, give their heart to the Lord. That's a different story. But I'm talking about people who put it off. There's just something about putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. I will assure you that, that your flesh... <clears throat> Uh, does not want you to live for God. That's just that's the bottom line. Your flesh does not want you to serve God, because your flesh always seeks the path of least resistance. I uh, <clears throat> mentioned this to Brother Manley. I have a little calendar in my office, and I flip the uh, the days on it. It always has some saying. Uh, September thirtieth. When I flip to September thirtieth. It's stated on there uh, that rivers are crooked because they have sought the path of least resistance. You know, water flowing down will always seek the lowest level. And the, the path of least resistance makes them crooked. And it goes on to say that is also true of people, that people who seek the path of least resistance, they their character ends up somewhat like the, the river, winding back and forth. A double-minded man, the Bible says, is unstable in all of his ways. <clears throat> you will find when it comes to spirituality that uh, the men in the Bible who were great leaders, <clears throat> not only did they respond quickly and hurriedly, but they expected others to do the same. They, they prompted others. They pushed others. Going back to the, the book of Joshua, <clears throat> now Joshua is going to, to die. He has already stated that this day, that is the day that he gives this speech, that uh, he will go by the way of the grave, by the way of all the earth, he says. 
So in his closing charge to Israel, in verse 14 of Joshua 24, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. I'll tell you, uh, this is the hour that we really do need to be sincere about serving God. There's some people that are just so passive about it. You know, if they get out to church, fine. If they don't, well, that's still fine. But it's not fine. It isn't. You end up with monumental problems when you neglect the Lord. He says, and put away the gods of your fathers, the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Verse 15, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. He presses them, make a decision right now. I mean, don't put it off. It's something that needs to be done, and it needs to be done right now. And he said, I want you to, I'm going to, I'm going to prompt you, push you, provoke you, do everything I can to get you to make up your mind right now. So choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he's saying we're, we're, we have already made up our mind, and this is the last day of my life, but I still choose to serve God. I still choose to serve God. Now, it only stands to reason if a man knew this was the last day of his life that he would serve God that day. I'm sure that some of you who will not make a decision to draw closer to God or commit your heart to God, if you knew in your heart that this was the last day that you would walk upon this earth and you knew in your heart that when you died that you would go into the presence of God to be judged. And you knew in your heart that God would judge you according to the things that you have done in the flesh. And you knew in your heart that you had not committed your heart to God, nor you have not done those things which are pleasing to God. I'll say you would alter your behavior this day. And I'd say... That if all of us knew this was our last day, whenever I get finished with this message, all of us would find our way to the front and we would kneel down and we would call upon God and we would welcome anyone who would like to come and pray with us uh, to, to come by our side. We would do that. Now, so you can understand why Joshua, on the last day of his life, would make a statement like this. But... I made statements relative to this man in his early years of leadership. Uh, The same was true. He responded quickly and readily, and he promoted people to do the same and pushed people to do the same. In other words, he didn't drag his feet when it came to spirituality. And isn't there something inside of most of us, though, that we just... We just a little bit on the lazy side, just a tad lazy, and and we just uh, we just want to wait. We want to put things off. I'll say that if you check your uh, calendar, or maybe I should say, just take a look at uh, 
the way that you conduct your business that we have a whole lot of people that uh, you've just put things off and put things off and put things off and put things off and I teach a lesson quite often in ministers meetings we talk about peace and I said one of the greatest ways to have a peaceful life I'm talking about inner peace is to do every day what you know you need to do in other words you just kind of burn all the bridges behind you so to speak you take care of all the loose ends and you get all the work done because contentment, by and large, comes as a result of the completion of a task or the meeting of a goal. I set a goal. I did it today. Sister Grant and I have been very busy trying to get things wrapped up, and I just don't think I've ever had a week like I've had this week. It's been a very, very difficult week. Of course, my mom was here, and then my mom had to leave and go back and just had a good number of things. There have been people that uh, have had pressing needs, doing a lot of counseling, and then, of course, uh, preaching in the, the services. Some things have arisen, arisen in the Christian school and just, you know, dealing with this and dealing with that and dealing with this and dealing with that. But uh, <clears throat> my wife and I are uh, smart enough. Uh, we've lived long enough to know that... that uh, the best way to get it done is just write it down, write it down the night before. This morning when we were packing up and loading the van and getting everything ready, pull out the list. Now, did we do this? Did we turn the electric water heater off that goes over to the to the guest part of the house? And did we do this? And did we do that? And did, did we get this? And did we get that? Everything's done. And uh, so you just mark it all off and take the paper and put in your pocket or in this case in Sister Grant's purse and get in the van and sigh of relief and well it's all finished ready to go don't have to worry about anything now so uh, <clears throat> now that's the way I prefer to live my life and I hope and pray that I can be like the Israeli people when God told them that they were going to leave Egypt God told them exactly what I want you to do. He said, I want you to pack your bags. I want you to get your house in order. But this is the night that you're going to leave. And they packed their bags. They had their staffs in their hands. They had eaten their meal. Uh, the lamb, which the blood had been placed upon the doorpost and upon the lintel of their household. Uh, they, they were ready. They were packed up and ready. And when the death angel came through Israel, or came through uh, Egypt, and uh, pretty much flew over the land of Goshen where they lived, uh, there was a there was a sigh of relief. We're ready, and we're leaving here. And I hope and pray that when the trumpet of the Lord sounds. At midnight, the Bible says, when the trumpet of the Lord sounds, that I can have my bags all packed up, my staff in my hand, so to speak, filled up with the good word of the Lord, and I can let out a big sigh of relief that I have no regrets. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to leave this world. Leave everything behind. Praise God. Praise God. You know that's going to take place in the very near future. Believe it. I believe with all my heart. I've been talking about the coming of the Lord. 
because I really do believe that Jesus Christ could come back any moment. And <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, if if the Lord comes back, He's not going to surprise me. Because I, I feel, I really feel that He could come back just, just any moment. Just recently, I've just, in prayer, it's like I could just hear the trumpet blow, expecting it. The other night in the prayer meeting, when we were all so quiet and meditating and thinking that maybe we'd hear the voice of God through spiritual gifts. Uh, we did not, but I thought, boy, what an excellent time, what a great setting for all of us to hear the trumpet of the Lord sound. Praise God. Years ago, in an old-fashioned Pentecostal church, we used to sing the song, I'll be listening. When the Savior calls, I'll be listening. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Praise God. Now, <clears throat> there's no doubt about it, if you have things in your life that you're putting off and you're waiting around, uh, it may not happen. This is the reason why that that the Lord, in speaking about His soon return, said that He would come as a thief in the night. It's not that God is going to intentionally just slip up on someone so that they uh, will be caught unaware. It's it, it's simply because that man can live in such a carnal condition with his mind attuned to the things of this world that God could scream in his ear and he wouldn't hear. I've seen people go through so many difficult things, circumstances, push them this way, push them that way. They go through everything, bankruptcy, you name it, just about everything. Now, that doesn't mean everybody that's, you know, that's, that goes through bankruptcy, that God's punishing them. That's not what I'm talking about. I think you understand. Uh, you know, if you look in the Bible, you find there was a man by the name of Job, and then there was a man by the name of Jonah. And if you, if you look at what happened to these men, uh, approximately the same thing happened to them. By that I mean... They both got in deep, deep trouble. But there's a vast difference between Jonah and Job. One was running from God, and one had such great trust in God that uh, the devil challenged the Lord, and the Lord allowed the devil to make Job into a better person. Can the devil make you into a better person? Oh, I'll tell you what, when your faith is tried... And your faith is tried as gold in a fire. The Bible speaks of that kind of a trial that makes you stronger than you've ever been before. Makes you stronger than you've ever been before. But the Lord is coming as a thief in the night to some people because God could actually knock on the door, blow the trumpet, scream, break out the windows or whatever, and you'd be sleeping through it. You couldn't hear Him. If it's not God's will for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance, He's not going to intentionally just slip up on people. But are you, this day, in a spiritual condition that if God wanted to talk to you, He could talk to you? Now that's something that's, that's very, very important. You need, to, you need to listen to what I'm saying. This is the reason why in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the works of Jesus Christ, all of these great men prompted hearers 
to do right now what they need to do. Jesus said, he that hath ears to hear, let him do. Or let him hear, rather. And then, of course, hearing uh, and then doing these things. He said, I will liken that man to a man that built his house upon the rock. In other words, he had the ability to hear and he had the ability to do. When the apostles preached after the day of Pentecost, I am reminded of of a situation in Acts 10th chapter. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there. A lot of you know this and you know it well. Uh, the apostle Peter makes his way to Caesarea, and here he preaches to Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile man. Uh, he was a centurion. That simply means that he was the captain of at least a hundred people. Uh, when Car- Cornelius hears the word of the Lord, the Bible says, While Peter yet spake these words, verse 44 of Acts 10, verse 44, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Now the point that I want to draw is this, that some people... They can pray a little bit or get a little bit of a touch of God. And I'm not saying that receiving the Holy Ghost is just a little touch of God. That's, that's, I would not want you to believe that at all. Because I believe receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost is being born of the Spirit. I think that this is the greatest thing that can ever happen to an individual in his tenure upon the planet Earth. But nevertheless, some people, when God touches them... They just feel, well, I've got a little touch of God, and that's all I need. And they just go on their merry way. But Peter knew that the new birth was more than being born of the Spirit, but it was also being born of the water. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now he was speaking to Nicodemus in John, the third chapter. So Peter, knowing this, after Cornelius had received the Holy Ghost, he looked at Cornelius, and he says, Now you haven't been baptized. Now you need to get baptized. Oh, but I tell you, I feel so good. And this reminds me of our Thursday night service. We had a beautiful lady to come in here and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Michelle Potter brought her. Uh, Laura was in... The hospital, uh, she was a very, very sick lady. She needed a touch of God. Our testimonies last Thursday night just touched her heart. She came down to the front. Uh, to my knowledge, this was a lady that had never prayed in a Pentecostal altar. Maybe she had, but to my knowledge, she had not. Didn't have a knowledge of uh, what was going on, but she came down to the front. Some sisters gathered around her. Michelle started giving her instructions. Within just a matter of minutes, Laura had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, after receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, 
I went up to her and I said, how do you feel? And she was so happy. I still remember that smile that she had. I'll tell you, God can take a frown and turn it into a smile. Isn't it amazing? I don't know how, how long did, did Laura pray up here, uh, Michelle? Ten minutes, maybe? Isn't it amazing that, that God can take a person that, that feels that they have no reason at all for living, and that was Laura's case. That's why she was in the hospital. So here is a lady that had no reason at all for living. And in ten minutes' time, that God can take all of that confusion, take that frown, take all of this bitterness against life out of her and completely turn her around in ten minutes' time. Sometimes counselors can spend years trying to get people to feel good about life and about themselves and in 10 minutes time the baptism of the Holy Ghost does it for this lady well when I approached her and asked her how do you feel she said oh, oh need you ask my she said this is fantastic she said I have never been so happy in all the days of my life <clears throat> I said now Laura you need to be baptized then you could see that all of a sudden her mind went into deep thought. Baptism. Oh, what time is it? I said, it's five minutes to ten. Now, we had been praying a while around the front before Lord decides that she wants to get serious about receiving the Holy Ghost. Five minutes to ten. Hmm. Supposed to be back to the hospital at ten. See, Michelle went by and checked her out of the hospital. She said, but as soon as I get this bracelet, you know, they, they put the band around your arm. Identification and such. As soon as I get this off my arm, get out of the hospital. In other words, she's saying, I'll be here. And I'll get baptized. But Laura, <clears throat> we have an example in the scripture. And I told her about this. Peter commanded. Why did he command because he wanted Cornelius to be complete in Christ Jesus. In other words, do it now, right now. Don't put it off, because the longer you put it off, the less significant it's going to seem. So I tried to tell her, now we're not trying to put a lot of pressure on you, but we want you to see the seriousness of this. And Michelle had the, the magic thought. She says, I'll take care of this. I'll go call the hospital and tell them you're going to be there at 11. Not 10. Now, it doesn't take an hour to baptize someone. But uh, she was giving her enough time to get redressed and then make the trip back down to the hospital. So we took Laura... He buried her in water in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Praise God. <clears throat> Why not today? Why not today? Praise God. <laughs> my my biggest, biggest thing with Christians, uh, saints of God, when I talk with them about doing things, well... I intend to. <laughs> I'm going to do this. 
Some people just have the trademark, you know, gonna, gonna do this. I, I intend, I fully intend to do this. Next week, well, I intend to. And some people live their life thinking. See, most of you, when you, when you think of yourself as you relate to God, you really would like to have that intimacy with God. You'd like to be a spiritual giant. I don't think there, there, there's no one in the world admired more than spiritual giants, men of God. This is the reason why that, that uh, some of the uh, television evangelists can become so popular overnight. It's because that, that people respect and admire spiritual giants. This is the reason why that in the Bible, some of the great giants of the Bible, I'm talking about spiritual giants, were so admired. Because most people, they, they relate to that because in their mind they think, now I'm going to be a spiritual giant. And I would say that all of you that I speak to who have been born again, that you perceive, I mean, in your own mind, you see yourself being some type of spiritual giant before Jesus comes back. But day after day after day, week after week after week, month after month after month, and year after year after year passes, and nothing is done. I mean, nothing. talk to people that plan they plan on preaching but when well <clears throat> it's just not the right time you know that's 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 what most people feel and so they're waiting until circumstances are all worked out but you know what happens the older you get the more the circumstances become too difficult for you to do this I was amazed. I thought that once my children all married, my wife and I just have a lot of time just to kind of look out the window or sit on the porch and relax. But it's not that way. After a while, it's it's not just John and Roy and Steve. It's, first, it's Roy and Lois. Then it's John and Lori. Steve and Joyce. And then it's not just Roy and Lois, but it's Roy and Lois and Lana now. And after a while, your family gets so big, and you say, my, where did all those expectations go? Now, needless to say, any of us would rather be with our family than just looking off at the horizon kind of bored. You know, there's no doubt about that. But you can understand that that as you the older you get, the more responsibilities you have. And for some reason, people feel that if I can just somehow unshackle myself and get free of, of life, I can live for God. But isn't it you who have lived for God a good number of years, the more responsibilities you have, the more you need to live for God. 
the more your workload is, the more you need God. The more entangled you become, the more you need to pray. And the more you need to seek God. But you see, it just never is a a good time. It never is a convenient time. I've always been intrigued by this. and Mark, the 11th chapter, Jesus is going into Jerusalem. If you'll turn there, in the 12th verse of Mark 11, And on the morrow, when they were come to Bethany, he was hungry. Talk about Jesus. And sent a fig tree afar off, having leaves. He came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet Now, Jesus is going to teach us a lesson about ourselves, about you, about me. Now, keep in mind, leaves everywhere, but no fruit. And the reason why there was no fruit is because it wasn't the right season for fruit. All right. And Jesus answered and said unto it, Talking about the tree. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Jesus cursed the fig tree because it did not have fruit. But keep in mind, it was not the season. It would have had... A miracle would have had to have taken place for it to have had fruit. Now, this, this is a, a very, very simple little lesson in life that Jesus is teaching. Now, they go into Jerusalem, and, of course, Jesus goes to the temple, and he cleanses the temple, casts out the money changers and such. And then, verse 19, the Bible says, And when evening was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And was this tree was dead. And Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou curseth is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Now, that almost sounds difficult, but it really isn't. Because he's teaching the apostles, a lesson about themselves. And the reason why is because it seems always the right time to be showy, religiously speaking. But it's never the right time to be productive. I'll show up for church. I'll even sing my songs. I'll even give my testimonies. I'll even preach my message. I'll teach him my Sunday school. I'll do anything. But what about the fruit? Well, it's not convenient. It's not the right season. Now, Jesus cursed this tree, and this tree dried up by the roots. The answer is in what Jesus said when he responded 
to this statement. The fig tree that you cursed is withered away. Jesus says, have faith in God. He's saying, if you ever reach the point in which it's not the right time to bear fruit, you need a miracle. And it starts with your faith in God. Because by nature, another time is always a better time. Later is always the answer. Isn't this what happened in Acts, the 25th chapter, when Paul is testifying before Felix and his wife, Drusella? In the 24th chapter, the 24th verse of Acts, and after certain days when Felix came with his wife, Drusella, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, Paul, this was not really a good time for Paul to be witnessing. You know why? He was bound in chains. He had been beaten. He was not supposed to be preaching. He had been told that he could not. He had been told that his mouth should be shut. He was bound in chains in Jerusalem and told, Don't you dare preach again. You can lose your life. So here's a man, he had every reason in the world as far as human logic is, is concerned not to be preaching, not to be living for God. He had every reason to be discouraged, but he was still preaching. And as he reasoned with righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a more convenient season, I will call for thee. Now, he didn't say, get out of here forever. Did he? No. He's saying, you know what you're saying makes sense. But right now, I'm too busy. Or right now, things are not quite right. But they will get better. And when they do... I know your telephone number and zip code. I'll call you. But of course, <clears throat> as far as we know, at least not in the book of Acts, this man never found God. Why? Because he waited too long. And you may be like the fig tree that Jesus spoke of. You look nice appear to be nice. Everything seems to be in order. But no fruit. Why no fruit? Well, it's not the right time for me to bear fruit. Have faith in God. See, that's what he's saying. That Christians can bear fruit any time. If... They have faith in God. But I think on the other hand, this does let us know what Jesus thinks of non-fruit-bearing people. He cursed the tree. 
did. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 15. When he said, ye are the branches, I am the vine. Except ye abide in me, ye can do nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I'd like to turn to Matthew 25. Here is a parable that you've probably heard preached on as much as any parable, maybe more than any any parable in the entire Bible. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened to ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, when he says, then shall, he is saying at the time in which the prophecy of Matthew 24 is being fulfilled. So Matthew 24 is dealing with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the things that are coming upon the face of the earth. And when Jesus says, then shall, in which it's a part of the prophecy, he's saying at this time that these things are coming to pass, this is the way the kingdom of God's going to be. All right. Now, we are seeing so many things fulfilled right before our very eyes. Recently, I've stepped to the pulpit one time with three different uh, state journals, uh, Wisconsin State Journal, newspapers. And here's the fulfillment of this, and here are the scriptures. I mean, within the last couple of weeks. That ought to be enough to cause the altars to be full. That ought to be enough to cause prayer meetings to be crowded. That ought to be enough to cause people to be weeping over their sin. But it's not. And the reason why it isn't because some of you live in a shockless society. God's dealt with you and dealt with you and dealt with you. And you've heard and heard and heard. And you've been dealt with so much and shocked with so much that right now you are so insensitive to God. Preachers can't shake you. Newspaper articles can't shake you. Nothing shakes you. This is what he's talking about. Listen to this. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Oil is a symbol of what? The baptism of the Holy Ghost. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest it be not enough for us and you, but rather go to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him. To the marriage and the door was shut. Now we're talking about people now that that have missed the rapture. Listen to this. Afterward also, afterward came also the other virgin, saying, 
Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Now, you look at the summary of all the parables to find out what the parable's aimed at. Here's the summary of it. What's therefore? For you know not, you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So what is this parable aimed for? To promote, to prompt, to provoke you to do what? To watch. Keep your eyes open. But see, just like some people can hear and not hear, some can see and not see. You can read the newspaper, but you just don't see. You can hear preaching, but you do not hear. The problem with the five foolish, when they got concerned, they got concerned a little bit too late. One day too late. One day too late. You know, I don't know what the next day after the rapture is going to be like, but I will assure you this, that every person that knew anything about God that missed, they will recognize their prayers are just a tad too late. One day too late. I'd like for you to stand with me this morning. If you set out right now to get everything just perfect so that you could start serving God, life would entangle you faster than what you can untangle yourself. You can go try to make amends. You can try to make everything right. But while you're making it right, things will get tangled up again. The only answer is let Jesus Christ come into your heart. And let him come in today. Let him come in today. Why not today? Why not? Why not serve God today? Boy, I tell you, I used to be intrigued when I was a kid. I watched these old western, watch those poker games. You see the guy that's, he's won some, he's lost some, he's the star of the show. All of a sudden he gets a good hand. And the betting gets high and it gets higher and it gets higher and it gets higher. Then all of a sudden somebody reaches over and they get everything they have and they push it out in the middle. Tension mounts. Excitement's there. You can see it. Somebody's going to win all or lose all. Of course, needless to say, what happens is that one's going to be the winner. Many are going to be the loser. Somebody is going to lose. After a while, everybody pushes their entire resources right in the middle, their winnings, stakes right in the middle.
then all of a sudden you see this one man, he doesn't have much money, but he feels he has a good hand. He says, I'll bet my entire farm, all the cattle and all the horses. What's going to happen if somebody has a better hand? He's going to lose it all. Now, I said all that to say this. Some people kind of live their life that way, so dangerously. You know that? You, you think about, you think, what if the rapture takes place and you're not saved? You think about that. You think about that. All of a sudden, the trumpet of the Lord blows. And you're left behind. And all you have to do right now is ask Jesus into your heart. That's all you have to do. Step out and come down and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I want you to come into my heart. We have Christian people throughout this auditorium that be glad to gather around with you and pray until Jesus comes into your heart. You receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we take and baptize you in Jesus' name. That's all you have to do. Just turn your heart over to God. And it's not going to get any easier. There will never be a better day than this day. So as our praise singers start singing, I want to invite you to come. Step out right now. And come and kneel and give your heart to the Lord. Would you do that right now? Come on right now. As our singers sing. I want to do Thy will, O Lord. Come on, young person. Come on right now. I want to do Thy will, O Lord.